We've talked quite a bit about how the coronavirus pandemic is wreaking havoc across uh, global health services, uh, wreaking economic havoc, but it is also straining democracy and governance around the world. It's particularly concerning as it comes at a time when democracy was perhaps already under threat in many places with uh, political polarization, the rise of uh, right-wing authoritarian leaders. Uh, Today, we are going to be hearing from one of the world's most celebrated philosophers on the political implications of the pandemic. Very pleased to be joined on the line uh, from the University of Chicago and the author of The Monarchy of Fear, A Philosopher Looks at Our Political Crisis Professor Martha Nussbaum on the line. Hello. Hello, hello. Very good to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor. Uh, I understand that what prompted you to write this book uh, was after you noticed fear among Americans following the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The results of that uh, were shocking to many of uh, Hillary Clinton's supporters, and it did shock a lot of people regardless of political stance. Can you tell us uh, what your thoughts, your observations were at that time? it was leading up to the election I saw a tremendous amount of polarization and on both sides it was fueled by fear on the right there are many many people who have real problems who have income stagnation loss of prestigious employment no no access to higher education all of these genuine problems but they turn a lot of them to Trump as a kind of savior running in fear to somebody who will protect them. And I think that's very dangerous. And on the left, you know, it was the fear of Trump Mm. and everything that he represents. So the two sides were pitted against each other in fear. But then, you know, looking at it, I had to say, and I noticed this fear in myself, the fear itself becomes the problem. Mm. Fear is a very primitive emotion. It's the earliest in human life and also in terms of our animal hierarchy. We, all, all mammals have fear. It's not a very refined emotion. And, you know, it's a very narcissistic emotion. Fear makes us focus inward on our own group or our, even our own bodies. And therefore, it's a threat to any common enterprise. This is why armies have to work so hard to get people to band and bond together so that they don't get running away out of fear. So, so I think the fear itself is, is part of our political problem now. And some of the negative effects of that fear, uh, as, as you say, it's, it's, it's very insular, it's very inward-working, it's very, uh, uh, you can say, almost a, a person being more self-absorbed. It does result in this anxiety, which could allow some leaders uh, who may have more nefarious intentions to, to exploit that and to perhaps uh, grab more power for themselves. Uh, one example being cited would be the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Uh, should we then be concerned that this current situation is exacerbating uh, the uh, already lingering concerns over uh, democracies around the world? Oh, sure, because people are so full of fear now anyway. I mean, my students, everyone I know, and of course I'm teaching from home, so I Hmm. see them only on a computer screen. Everyone is is afraid, and, and people have trouble sleeping. So, of course, that just exacerbates the political problem, and, and it makes us less uh, likely to deliberate reasonably together based on facts. And, yeah, I think it does increase the threat to democracy, there's no doubt. Even in a case like the Israeli election, where 
they found an agreement, and that was a pretty good resolution, I think. You know, the procedures were not perfect. Mm. They, they did suspend usual procedures in order just to get some government in charge. And I think any time that you short-circuit procedure, it's very dangerous. Uh, we don't even know how we're going to vote in November. I'm very strongly in favor of voting by mail. It's been used with great success right. in quite a few of our states that where every every person votes by mail in Colorado and quite a few other states. And it's not politically biased, but, but we have to do that on a nationwide basis or people are going to be afraid to vote. And that would really be a terrible risk to democracy. And certainly uh, with the voting by mail issue, it does seem like the, the Republicans will do everything in their power to prevent that from actually becoming law. President Trump famously uh, talking about how there's fraud involved with uh, vote by mail, even though he did so himself when he's living in Florida uh, as an absentee. <laughs> yeah, there's no evidence that yeah. there's more fraud. And there's also actually no evidence that the Republicans do worse, not, not in the states that actually right. have it. But I think he thinks that it will suppress voter turnout among uh, black and brown communities. And that's, of course, the communities that do not vote for him. So I think that's yeah. why he's doing that. Well, that, that's a great segue into the next question then, because you mentioned the people of color, uh, the black and brown community, the, the immigrant community. Uh, in your book, The Monarchy of Fear, uh, you're, you're talking about how globalization, this uh, greater exchange of goods and services and people all around the world, has resulted in uh, feelings of powerlessness in people in the West. And maybe if we can talk about that being um, uh, white people in the West, bubbling into resentment and blame, there's always been an element of um, some kind of feeling of anti-immigrant uh, fervor, but it seems to has, have become even more uh, exemplified. And, and you see that with the election of Donald Trump. Uh, and you also see that in this, uh, some would have been surprised at this vote to uh, leave the European Union by the UK. Yeah, well, there are real problems. There is income stagnation in lower middle class white communities, and that has led to what uh, Angus Deaton and Anne Case in their new book called Deaths of Despair, illnesses, drug addictions, which are fueled by a sense that people have lost their status in the community, lost the chance for their children to do better than themselves, lack of access to higher education is a big part of the problem, and these real problems are, of course, made much worse by automation, outsourcing, but it's hard for people to live with this sense that we're helpless in front of global forces that we don't know what to do about. So it's much easier to turn that into rage and scapegoating and blame. It's, it's always much easier to blame someone than it is to live with weakness and helplessness. So I think what leads people to Trump is he tells you it's not the fault of automation and outsourcing. It's the fault of Mexicans coming over the border. Mm. It's the fault of the, the other terrorists flooding in at the other checkpoints. And, you know, he, he gets you angry at these other people. Now, I actually think that fear can sometimes produce real solidarity. And I, I do think in my own city that knowing that the black and brown communities are much more vulnerable yeah. to the COVID virus, and we have data on that, has led people to think much harder about the problems of those communities, lack of adequate housing, lack of adequate food available in the local neighborhood, lack of adequate health insurance above all. So, you know, it can produce 
a feeling of solidarity yeah. and a search for real solutions. But I think in the case of Trump supporters, it's not producing anything constructive. I mean, you can find out if you really care about the facts that undocumented immigrants commit fewer crimes than the rest of the population. Well, it's logical, right? They don't want to be stopped and asked for their papers. But there's this fiction that these are all kind of dirty, filthy criminals. And the rhetoric of blame is even heightened by a rhetoric of disgust. Trump uses words like vermin, uh, filth, and and so on. And, you know, he even used the word shithole countries about Africa. So this kind of sense of physical disgust for other people really drives people apart. And so we really have to get rid of that kind of talk. And we, there are many ways of working on that that I could talk about. But, you know, just to call people on that and say, what are you doing? Why are you calling human beings vermin? And, uh, you know, we have to come together as a community if we're ever going to keep our democracy healthy. Yeah, and uh, there's always been a hyperbole about uh, the next election being the biggest elections of our lifetimes. A lot of people do feel upcoming, uh, just from the U.S. context, that uh, the upcoming presidential elections in November uh, with the uh, purported nominee uh, Joe Biden against uh, Trump uh, running for uh, re-election will uh, answer some of these questions going forward as to uh, how the global society uh, will uh, be uh, conducting uh, going forward. Uh, We are out of time, but uh, Professor Nussbaum, we do thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your insights. Thank you so much. Well, good luck to all of us. I was going to say that liberal arts education, which is one thing our two nations share, is one of the best helps in this situation. So I hope that all the university students who are listening will will be proud of the fact that you uh, have this kind of education. Great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.